Ayo, welcome everyone to Stay in the Scene by Indie Arcade Wave. I'm Joe, your host, and here on In the Scene, we dive into what's happening in the arcade space from new indie arcade developers, arcade owners, and operators, and just news in the space in general. Now, before we jump in, I just wanted to say a couple things. We've got the new shirts from Galactic Battleground. I'll throw those up on the screen, as well as the cabinets. We got our four player Konami and our four player tabletop. I'll throw those up right now. I'm ready to jump into this episode. Uh, there's an arcade that I've been checking out for a while now. They're not close to me. I really wish I could go visit. But I've got the owners with me, so we're going to dive into uh, High Scores Arcade. They've got two locations currently in California. They've got some really cool stuff there that makes their arcade stand out from others, like their custom Nintendo cabinets. They've got their own wine, a family wine, um, and they just opened up a second location. So let's dive in. We've got the owners, Meg and Sean, with us today. How are you guys doing? Peace. Hey, how you doing? I'm, 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 I'm Sean. I'm, <laughs> Nice to meet you guys. Finally, obviously, we've been talking for a long time. I know Meg and I have definitely been texting. Sean, you've been in there, too. I I don't know exactly who I'm texting every time, but um, we've been chatting for a while, and I'm really excited to hear about your experience. We spoke a little bit before, and that just made me even more curious. So let's just jump into intros. Like, Let us know who you guys are and why you wanted to open an arcade. Uh, what, what are you, what are you <laughs> who are we? Um, so uh, Sean and I have, uh, you know, we've been, you know, as people, we've been a couple for, uh, you know, 20 something years. And um, somewhere in that uh, early space of our relationship, uh, Sean brought a Donkey Kong home to our uh, apartment. And um, while I was away at work, and that was what started the ball <laughs> rolling way back when. Um, we had two, you know, kind of, I had a corporate job and he was teaching and, um, initially we just started collecting, uh, just, you know, because it was, it was fun. It was our passion. You know, we, we lined the walls of our apartment with the games, uh, eventually and, um, you know, really built a modest collection, anything that a, a one bedroom apartment could hold. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we just, we ran out of room and um, we started to kind of conceptualize high scores back when we lived in New Jersey. Um, and uh, we saw an opportunity to, you know, we, we were house hunting. We were looking at places that had big basements, um, you know, accessible basements, easy stairs, uh, big, you know, big storage units. So the games really started to shape what we were going to do next uh, with our lives. So we bought a building that had a commercial storefront on the first floor and we um, lived I think you're going up too, sorry, sorry, you're going too fast. It. Okay, you're going go too ahead. fast. Right? <laughs> so, so I'm a rapper from New Jersey. Right? Okay. You know, I rap my Let's whole, start there. Yeah, I rap my whole life, right? You know, I get some independent albums out. I find myself teaching in the inner city. My wife's got a corporate job and, you know, our life is tough, man. Like I got to wake up super early in the morning. Uh, you know, I'm still kind of a partier, so I like to have a couple of drinks. I'm waking up at 536, going to this trudge, difficult job. And then, you know, you get this little window of time open every once in a while for, like, you know, holiday breaks and stuff for teachers. You know, Meg's still got to work, but I kind of stay home on the Internet. And this early 2000s, man, and we, we saw a copy of King of Kong, right, that, uh, you know, it wasn't out yet. You know, it was like 2005 or six. As soon as they wrapped it, we had a copy of it uh, somehow, some illegal copy of it, some bootleg pirated copy. And I saw all these guys at the time. I'm in my early 30s. And I saw these guys, man, in their like early 40s, mid 40s. And I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell am I going to do, man? Like, I can only listen to Big Daddy Kane and Slick Rick so many times and live in the past, the nostalgia, this hip hop stuff. You know, I got to find a new place to live in the past. And man, when I saw those dudes like 10, 15 years older than us, like just charged up about playing these old ass games, I was good back in the day. So I just said behind Meg's back, 
buy this Donkey Kong on eBay. You know, ship it from Florida, right? And, and so one day me and my buddy drive out there and Meg's a little iffy about this at the time. She likes video games too. We play modern stuff, but we never had an arcade cabinet in the house. So I just, through all trickery and slyness, slide this thing into our lives, right? And then we start having fun together. And then it starts to become a Meg and Sean. I mean, thing, it was a right? one bedroom apartment. <laughs> yeah. We start going to these auctions and like she sees Centipede and then this, all the games are pretty. And for some reason, she took this like organic liking to this thing that was kind of new to her. And then before you know it, she's learning more than me. So I'll come home. We'll talk about something and she'll start having information that I didn't have. And I'm like, oh, man, OK, I got her. I got her right where I want her. You know, and then we start getting more games. You know, you know, the, the, anyway, I just want to slide. Yeah. So we lined the uh, the walls of our one bedroom apartment with the games. Um, I think our max was like 19 before we started moving uh, into that that space where we were looking for more space and really. You know, it's true that the games dictated our collection, dictated what we were going to do next. You know, like where can we move that we can afford to keep them? Um, and from that, the idea of making it a business was born. Um, when we were in New Jersey, we opened up, we lived above. It was a, kind of a low key operation. We both had our day jobs. We opened up the arcade on uh, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and it was all coin operated. It was all quarter drops. Um you know, a little bit different of a model, which now we have a wristband model, um, kind of a, a different look uh, since we moved out to California. But, um, you know, it first started from where do we put all these games? What do we do with all these games now that we have them? And then um, it's quickly <laughs> slowly but, snowballed. But the arcade in New Jersey, the first high scores, it was out in 2010, right? That's when we first opened it. And Meg, you know, and myself, you know, we're bringing these games in, just the two of us. We still got our early 30s strong bodies. And it's still, it's very tough for us though, because we're bringing these machines from auctions all by ourselves, bringing them to our house. We're connecting with dudes in their 50s and 60s at the time that we were very far away from in age and, and generation and culture. But they're the ones that knew how to fix the 80s games, right? So we, we got to get in good with them and figure out who they are. And we start to like them. We start meeting friends, you know, in the arena of arcade game collecting. We start to like them. And we start to become and the community can get very, you know, uh, very extreme because you're dealing with like competitive high scores. That's one community. Another community is going to be people that like to build games from scratch. And then another community is going to be people like to collect the games and others, the people who like to do the work of refurbishing them cosmetically on the inside. And we start building this into our lives. Right. So I'm still teaching. She's still, uh, you know, working in pharma. And this first high scores was a special place, man. We had Will Casso is like hip hop graffiti artist of the Trenton area, like of that decade and probably still. And, and he just tags the whole place up with this like custom arcade art, you know, glow in the dark, you know, all kinds of interesting stuff all over the place. And it was in this 300 and something odd year old building that we bought. And man, building is dirt cheap. Is made out of bricks and the Quakers used to live there. So like you got a Native American cemetery, indigenous people cemetery in the backyard, right? And you know, friend of the white man, Chief Akinikin's grave is up there. And so in this setting of this beaten down area on the outskirts of Trenton, New Jersey, which hasn't been healthy since, uh, you know, since the Roebling Steel went out of business, you know, we've got this little tiny arcade with like 35 games in it, you know, and, and just barely chugging along and working. And, uh, and people started to come, you know, neighborhood kids started to come. It almost felt like youth outreach. But that first chapter, I don't know, I ever want to understate just how damn cool the, the New Jersey high scores would and was. And that served as a springboard for us to collect more games, 
learn learn a little bit more about how to fix them. And then uh, before you know it, we get this opportunity to move out west through Meg's uh, Meg's career. And, you know, I retire from teaching uh, and we decide we're going to really go for it and like open up a real deal uh, arcade. So that first step was was super important to me, you know, and, and a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the idea of like where you guys were. You started like the idea of having 18 cabinets in a one bedroom apartment is like so wild to me. That's that's a lot of games in that space. Um, and I, I love how the passion just room table because we wanted the pinball to move the pinball machine in. So who needs a dining room table? All the yeah. furniture to make room for the games. You don't need a dining room table. You have yeah. you have a Donkey Kong. You're good. You're set. Um, let's let's talk about your locations. Obviously, you started in New Jersey. You're in California now. Um, I know we were talking before. You had like multiple locations moving. Kind of your so you're at like the fifth arcade. Kind of you've been running fourth. Yeah. Fourth. Yeah. Okay. Well, we uh, so when we moved out to the West Coast, um, we took a six month, you know, kind of orientation there, and we opened up um, High Scores Alameda on Park Street in Alameda. So it's a, a small island in the East Bay, uh, just across the bridge from um, San Francisco, where I was working my day job at the time when we opened up. Um, and uh, yeah, so we've been in the same location there for ten years. Uh, it's about. 46, 47 games on the floor, um, give or take at any one time, depending on the title. Um, you know, we really, uh, we, we've made such an impact in that community um, for being there for 10 years. It's super fun because now that we've been there for 10 years, uh, I just met somebody who had been coming to um, high scores from the time he was in elementary school, through middle school, through high school, and now in college. So it's really uh, super, super fun that we get to provide that that kind of um, that memory that we all have, you know, from being little and playing in the arcade and having it be kind of a special space to us. Uh, we get to do that now. It really um, feels like we kind of took part in, in history, in like Bay Area history. And even though we're not from the Bay Area and we're, we'll always kind of be like strangers, it feels kind of like we brought something special that, you know, it, it was something that was special for us, but also something special for, for the people around us. So, you know, it was a real fond memory thinking about building that place. And for the first time doing things like hiring people to help us paint and uh, doing things with more of a professional uh, finishing touch than we did in the New Jersey location. And man, it's, it's been like an iconic place there. And it's been tough for us to keep it running all these years. Uh, you know, the machines are old, so it's only getting harder. Uh, yeah, it's only getting yeah, harder. So business model wise, um, you know, we have mostly we stick to our, you know, kind of where we focus is classic 80s games. So we have a couple of exceptions, but um, mostly strongly in the 83 to you know, I'd say 80 to 83, 84, you know, category of games. We have some newer ones like Guitar Hero and uh, some newer drivers. Um, but, you know, kind of in those genres that we feel like, you know, only really good ones like, you know, there's a pack battle royale, the four player tabletop. We have that there um, because it's just immensely popular. So there's a couple of different uh, updated ones that we kind of stray away from the classic model. But never too far that it ruins the ethos of our place. We have to protect that. Yeah, we have classic. a geography in there, you know, so we have categorically, you know, we can only put so many games that are modern in here, you know, and look, we don't have enough from the 90s. We have to make sure we're representing like Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 3rd Strike. But, you know, the corny stuff, we just don't let it in. You know, we don't put the corny stuff out there. And like when we get an opportunity, 
We even have slots where we can put ultra rare stuff. You know, we got stuff that we've collected over the years that nobody's got. You know, nobody will ever be seen playing it in public. And I say that we respect to the fact there's exceptions like Galloping Ghosts and Fun Spot and some other like top tier locations. But as far as, far as a medium to small size arcade, you'll never see another swimmer or a major havoc or an iRobot. You know, there's there's I saw that zookeeper you guys have. Yeah, there's Atari prototypes that <laughs> we may we may never put on the floor, you know, and, and so that that leads us, I think, a little bit just to say that this has been a backdrop, though, for us being preservationists. So we take whatever we can get, you know, from these locations and raise and, and that has enabled us to now build our collection. So entirely, you know, instead of it being 35 in New Jersey, we got 45 or so in Alameda, another 50 at the other 55, the other location and then another almost 100 and storage that, you know, it takes a lot to, uh, to preserve and keep safe and, and repair. And, uh, you know, and yeah. So migrating back to your original question, we have Alameda for 10 years, um, for five of those years overlapping, we had another East Bay location in Hayward, uh, which was amazing. A great run. Um, we still have a lot of really dedicated, um, loyal customers from the Hayward time that have found their way back to Alameda kind of post pandemic, but, we closed, uh, had to close um, Hayward during our um, 15 month COVID closure. And we've just recently, two, three months ago, uh, opened up uh, on Alvarado Street in Monterey, uh, California. So we're kind of in a um, coastal coastal uh, tourist town now uh, with our second, now second location or twin location. And um, the model is a wristband model. So pay as you come in and you know, you get an hour or an all day pass and um, all the games are set to free play. So, um, you know, functionally wise, all of the coin mechs and everything have been taken out and uh, they're just all on, on free play or, you know, rigged one way or another to do that. So, so right now we've got the two locations and each of them have, you know, somewhere between 45 and 55 games on the floor. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think taking out the coin mechs is smart. Honestly, it, it, they, they go bad pretty quick and then you just got to deal with fixing them. It's one less thing to fix, right? You have that many games between the two locations. You got 90 some games one less thing to fix so people like I think to drop things in coin you know if you're not running off of a quarter yeah. model uh it's just an extra thing to cause a problem um, yeah no i just because when you said coin mechs it made me think of the business decision we made when we took them out and we switched to wristband models i don't think anybody's going to open up in our backyard i'm not worried about that but i just know that that one thing that, that would save anybody interested in this a lot of time is just a philosophical approach to this you have to make people pay for these damn games, all right? It's not good enough for them to come in and really think it's cool for a minute to take a picture in front of a centipede. If you want to keep this shit alive, you've got to force the idea that these things have value onto people because they're not going to be – the public general is not going to be warm, warmed up to that at first. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of bring the dignity back to the arcade. 25 cents, get the fuck out of here, man. These CRT <laughs> monitors are hundreds of dollars to fix. Yeah. And then you gotta and then you gotta sit there and you know you, you gotta make sure all the capacitors are right. And, and you know, you plug it in. Ah, the whole thing blew. You know, this costs a lot of money. This is tough to do. Make these people pay to be in your spaces. If you could find a way to keep it family friendly like we have, I think that's really important where anybody could afford to come in. But the idea that that it's free seems to be a go-to for an average public person that comes in. And a couple quarters, this used to be 25 cents right. without the obvious arguments around why we can't do that anymore. So if you want to open a good space where it's worth being there and you're going to be paying some rent, you've got to kind of instill the, the dignity of this into the people. 
you know? Well, and I think that that's more than just the games, you know, um, you know, Sean and I, you mentioned our custom games, you know, one of the things that we, one of the reasons why we do it is to create kind of new excitement in this kind of an old space, um, you know, and uh, we always have, you know, trademark 80s playlist on on the jukebox. We um, were really strict about what goes on there. Nothing that, you know, came out after, you know, 1990 can even play on the speakers above. So, you know, I think- um, No exceptions. You know, you're selling, as much as as much as we all recognize um, the value of the games, the foundation they they laid, and we can all love to spend the money. You know, if we had a place like ours that wasn't ours, we would definitely give money to it and go. You know, but there's people, some people that only have the passing or fleeting memory, and you know, you do have to kind of create an experience for them that's not just dependent on the games, you know, like, oh, taking me back to my high school days, you know, whatever that experience is, you have to bring them back there or offer a value that's a little bit more than just like, look at all these old games I have. And what better way to capture that moment for somebody that actually lived through the 80s or early 90s than actually have a space that's literally been almost unadulterated, not mixed, diluted, or tampered with, but that actually reflects what that feeling was in the 80s through the sights and through the games and through the sounds and through the music and through the smell. Uh, It's like that one chance, not only for us guys and girls that are older to go back and feel that, but it's for the young people to experience and see what the hell we're talking about. They read the rays on the damn screens and the iPads. They have no idea what we're talking about or how damn cool it is. I've literally seen grown men get teary in our arcade before. Um, and then apologize for getting teary, but like, but they're so happy to see it back. And, you know, I think that goes down to like all the little details, like, you know, your games have to be in really great shape. They have to look good. They have to play well. Um, because the people experiencing it for the first time, are going to be judging it as first timers and the people re-experiencing it that, you know, uh, go for the nostalgia don't want to be reminded of their age. They don't want to be, Oh, this is 40 years and broken down and cigarette burns all over the place. And, you know, um, you know, they want to be taken back to when like, Oh my God, they saw Q bird in the arcade for the first time, you know? And so part of that is keeping the games, uh, you know, not from, being run down because we've seen there's so many arcades that you know you've been in where um they might have the huge redemption games and the big fancy moderns and then they have this sad little corner of classic arcade games flat screens shoved into yeah some shitty miss pac-man conversion that has like an lcd monitor and it's just it's depressing you know and it doesn't Miyamoto, it show right? the respect that those game, the games should command. Just putting it in right. some down corner, you know. I mean, like, nostalgia is a hell of a drug, and and when you well, yeah, when you so. when you nail it, you nail it. Like you you just know right away. I'm I'm curious about advice for people that want to open an arcade. Like you guys are obviously like we've been talking for a little bit, and you're clearly incredibly passionate about this. What advice would you have for somebody that wants to open their own arcade? Like how do they get into it? I guess without a lot of the bumps and hurdles in the beginning so what are we we talking about i'll be a human human personification of everybody on the message boards run don't open your own arcade (laughs) you know um we've talked to a lot of people who've come in and wanted to do it through the years and um i would say that uh the number one biggest challenge is well, Sean, Sean mentioned there's so many different groups of people, like say specifically in the arcade space, there's high score, 
holders. There's, you know, those, those passionate, you know, players out there. There's um, collectors who really love to collect and restore the games and don't really even play them that much or, you know, um, and there's operators, which are like seemingly universally hated by the collectors. Um, you know, so it's, it's um, to jump from one space to another is, a little difficult. Like we just in, so you could have the games, but run it. Sorry to interrupt, no, but okay. you could have the games, but that doesn't mean you can run the business because, yeah, like that's, you, that's, know, that's you know, you know, because thing. you know, we we I told you I was a teacher before and a rapper and this that, but I didn't mention is I was in the barbering industry for fifteen years. We had our own hair salon in two thousand four, um, and we learned how to run a business. And then you got to respect all those things, like like in terms of how to keep inventory, what how to interface with the public, what you want your promotional materials to look like. Um, you know, what, what, what kind of a, what's your name supposed to sound like? What's that going to mean? How are you going to represent that in a physical way? A lot of these dudes, they dick around with these machines in their basement. Like I want to open an arcade or ladies, <laughs> mostly dudes. Dick, I mean, let's just keep it, you know, as many, many women in this as there are women in the fire department, right? <laughs> Less than 10%. No, no, no disrespect. I love women. We're scrapping. I love, I love women, but no, you gotta, you gotta know a thing or two about business. You gotta be willing to take risks. It's got to be important enough to you, right, where you can take losses and just be left with some machines, right, that you're saving or keeping, uh, you know, and, and you got to be willing to take those and, and also willing to learn, right? If yeah. you're not willing to learn, then you, there's, there's, you're, you're, you're so far away from step one. So you can't look at it only from that purest perspective of whatever it is you're passionate about, because if so, you're going to end up with a very weird arcade of, uh, you know, games that like, oh my God, isn't this so cool? This is a Atari prototype that no one's ever played before. Yeah, fuck your feelings. You can't have 40 of those. You need, you gotta have a Street Fighter. You don't want it, but you need it, you know? And so like, you need to, um, without sacrificing your principles, like, you know, we don't go for the modern games necessarily because that's not part of like our ethos as a company or collectors, but you have to be willing to say, um, you know, that subs is so cool. That subs machine, we did a whole unboxing boxing of it brand new, but no one's ever going to play it or it's not a good mix with the other She's ones. She's talking Atari subs from 78. We got one in the box, new straight from Atari from 78. And we, we, uh, we unboxed it. And no, nobody give a fuck. And so, so we got to learn about no one that. Wanted to play it, but that's the thing is that you need to sacrifice. You need to be able to look at the business from, a multi-dimensional perspective and say, well, it's not just what what I think would be cool or what me and my collector friends think would be cool. What is the eight-year-old that's never seen these games going to play when they walk in? Um, so, yeah. Know. So if you're one of those weirdos that only plays Robotron and you know about the rainbow board, now, yeah, yeah, it's all so cool. All right, we're so hip and we're cool. We all know the same shit. Then you're not going to, you got to make sure you flush that attitude out before you start trying to appeal to the public. If you're one of those idiots that only likes Street Fighter 2 or only likes Marvel vs. Capcom 2 or any of that shit, then you're so <laughs> far away from being able to do a good job. It's not even funny. You got to be able to have a categorical representation of what the public wants, but also what the public needs to be able to connect with history. You know, you got to be able to see that vision. And, uh, and 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 back it up with the actual inventory. Well, you have to understand that too. the Atari prototype is awesome to bring in for a, a small feature, but you have to have, you know, the five other games that people are going to play surrounding it. So you have to have a balance, you know. Yeah, I think... I think you guys gave very similar advice to what Jeremy Fox from Prince Arcade said. He he has all these games. He collects all these like super rare games, does a lot of cleanouts and stuff. And he's put them on the floor and he sees some games that he like absolutely loves, just don't earn. 
you know, people just don't want to yeah. play him. So you have to be able to curate a mixture of what you actually want on the floor and what you know people are going to play to keep your balance of the business. You guys are doing obviously like the wristband to get in thing, which helps alleviate that a little bit. You can have more games that you want, but you do still need to have a lot of games that people are going to be happy because they're going to want to spend the whole day and you need them to come back. Like that's right. the big thing. They can pay for it for the day, but if they don't come back, that's a little bit of an issue. Um, well, I want to know. Classics are good. You know, you have tried and true ones. Those are great. You know, as long as you have half your games are like right. Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Street Fighter 2 and Double Dragon and Centipede. As long as you got the tried and true, you're off to a good start. It's what you do with that other 50% of exactly. the floor. Though, you know? And the other important thing that is that cannot be overstated um, is know how to, either know how to fix them yourself or have a plan in place, yeah. right? So you either have a network or you have that knowledge yourself. And, you know, I stumbled through a lot of things. Um, I rely on you know, uh, a lot, a big network of people that give me like text advice, like, Hey, this is presenting this way. What the fuck? And they'll send me back, you know, do this, do this, do this. And so like my, my, my phone looks like some weird 1980, like if text messaging, like between arcade owners, uh, uh or operators existed in 1984, it'd be my, my phone. And, so, and why would they know, do such a thing for you? Right. Do they do that? The reason they would do such a thing for you is the same reason why we answer calls and try to talk strangers through repairs in the back of their monitor is because it's kind of like a karmic thought that, that you know, you've got to kind of give out if you, you really want to have to have to want to preserve this stuff. And that means sometimes you're not just preserving it for yourself, but you're actually participating in a web with other people so you can help other people with their preservation efforts, whether it's some guy in his garage or whether, you know, you got to pay it forward to them. And I would feel just humiliated by not by Sal, we don't do that here. Oh, you know, we're not in the repair business. I, I would never be able to do that to a person who called me for help because I know how many times we've had to rely on the help of others that just want to see this thing continue, you know? And, and so if you feel strongly about mm -hmm. the culture continuing and the machines being preserved, then, you know, take part in that web. You know what I mean? See, how can you make yourself useful to that person? What can you add to the cipher there? Well, pass know? it on because honestly, especially with the old games, I mean, they're getting, they're only getting older and so are the people that knew how to work on them. So if we don't all uh, talk on that level and perpetuate at least a bit of technical knowledge, you know, and so there's nothing more insulting. So getting back to what does it mean, you know, going into business and being able to do that yourself. I mean, there's nothing more insulting, at least... <laughs> Well, there's more insulting things, but it's pretty insulting when people come into the arcade and they'll say like, hey, uh, I want to do that. You know, I'm thinking about doing this. I, I've got a space and like, how do I get these games? Um, you know, you know, just, good, yeah, good luck, Buttercup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so somebody who's never, uh, you know, kind of if it, so as much as you need to look at it from a business person's perspective and not just the passionate enthusiast, um, you need that passion to make it work, uh, you know, because if you're just like, oh, I can pick up some of these games, then you're going to get it wrong. Uh, you're just, you're, you just don't get it. You're going to get it wrong, you know? Yeah, I mean, I the way that I've heard a lot of arcade owners talk about it is you get in it for the passion and you get in it so you're not paying for storage. Like, <laughs> you're, you're making money on these games and you're not paying for storage. You know, you're getting a profit out of them. Um, I, I was looking at your guys' Instagram and I'm really curious about these Nintendo cabinets. Like, tell me more about the custom cabinets you have in there, the Nintendo cabinets, like that Smash Bros. Melee cabinet is sick. How, how did that come to be? Sean's noggin. Can, can, cannabis. No, I, I just, 
No, man, it's just you sit and you have these visions about what if we could do this, right? You know, and uh, a lot of those visions never met their end or their fruition. But with these, man, it was like uh, we thought about it. Some of the ideas I, I'd come up with, or Meg, Meg too, but, but once the idea was out there, it was a group of us starting with me and Meg. That, uh, that had to work on the development of, the, of these cabinets. And then we had to spread it out to other people and, and you know, have their talents come into play so we could actually get them completed. You know, so we starts with the idea, sketch, right? And then after that, it's about finding the talent that, that can help us, you know, make our vision a reality. And, and in this case, uh, with, with a lot of those, Sam Bauman uh, had a lot to do with that. He's a fantastic artist. Uh, I mean, you know, in terms of what our ideas were, it's not like he executed them. It's like he he re he tweaked, reinvented, and uh, and and you know he kept all the great stuff, but then added his own great stuff, and and then got rid of some of the stuff that wasn't going to work. You know, so they say our Oregon Trail machine is actually plays a bunch of text based games. So and that's um, custom, man. You know, like yeah, King's Quest, Apple Two games, Leisure Suit Larry. Um, you know, sorry, to, no, okay. this is this is just so important. Like you go up to this arcade machine; it's made out of wood. It looks like it's made out of a damn Oregon wheel, or you know. It's so then and it's got custom art and then inside is a monitor. You got an old IBM QWERTY clicky keyboard that you walk up to as if it was computer lab in the eighties. Right. And then you could, you could play leisure suit, Larry, anybody who knows video games outside of the arcade, they had a PC in the eighties, Sierra online, man. And we're talking like, you know, later on they did cool stuff like quest for glory, but I'm talking about the foundational stuff like space quest. You play that in the middle of an arcade. That's just so cool. So, the so what we did was, you know, uh, thought like, oh, that would be that would be cool. You know, can we still get the keyboards? What would the inside look like, and and how would it work? And then we presented the idea to Sam, to um, the artist who took it one step further, and he he partnered with somebody to do all, um, you know, kind of parchment paper, hand drawn um, art, and uh, you know, textured the wood, and he even drove it here on the Oregon Trail and uh, took some pictures of it, glamour shots along the way. So, um, you know, in part, it's just like geeky ideas, um, you know, that, that, that come up and then we make them a reality. But what they turn to be is, you know, people that literally will buy a wristband just to play Smash or just yeah. to play Oregon Trail. Um, or they see it and then they go, oh, yeah, no, it's like it awakens, you know, their you know, junior high self. You know, man, you know? like a third of the people or maybe not that much, but maybe like a fifth of the people that walk up to Oregon Trail say they remember seeing it in the arcade. It's just never existed. But they <laughs> think that the, it was in the arcade. Smash Brothers was for the babies. You know, Wu-Tang is for the children. You know, we don't that Smash Bros and all that shit. I was already you know, in my twenties, you know, that wasn't something that we play, we, our kids play it, but that was less about, you know, honoring or preserving arcade. It was more like reaching out to like the younger gamers whose nostalgia actually is only tracing back to the early two thousands. You know what I mean? So we tried to get it right for them. Like, you know, because they didn't have people that grew up and were teenagers in the two thousands did have arcade machines, but not like we did. There wasn't some massive collection of all these, you know, limitless genres and all that kind of stuff. So, so that was kind of so something. So the Smash Bros. cabinet is super sexy and looks, you know, looks beautiful. Um, but it's running off of original GameCube hardware. It has a, the world's heaviest CRT uh, monitor inside um, just to make sure that the, you know, the frame rate and the lag and everything was all the way that people should compete on it, you know? So, um, and Zelda's yeah. go Zelda's golden, like shiny, shimmery golden. It kind of looks like that dude that used to work on Nintendo with 3ds. It was golden. Like 
just I, you know, Zelda's just so pretty, man. And 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 Sam had a lot to do with that too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you guys definitely got me with that. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those babies that like I wish I had arcades when I was like a teenager, but you know, GameCube is like my my nostalgia, yeah. and now I've collected. I mean, I think I've picked up like forty games in the last month and a half GameCube's because I'm like tough to collect for, man. That's a very oh, expensive console. I just I just picked up uh, Chibi Robo and Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, and those were really hard to find. Um, but I'm glad I got them. I've got, got a couple Eternal more. Darkness. List, but... You got Eternal Darkness? Nope, it's on my list. Really? Yeah, man. Like, you could, like you can tell, like we're still modern gamers in the sense that we keep up with the times. You know, we're not stuck back in Dig Dug land. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love I love the GameCube too. But uh, we also, you know, we have we've done silly, really silly things. Like uh, we put a Dreamcast inside a um, a candy cabinet. We made a Shenmue machine. Oh, that'd be sick. Cabinet yeah. just dedicated completely, and it's all because we wanted. We wanted to be Somebody able to walk into, into the arcade, in the arcade, an arcade in an arcade. <laughs> so, so like we made a custom Shenmue marquee for it, like you know the the control panel art, everything. Um, and uh, that that I wouldn't say that that was a marketing winner, but boy, it's fun, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love all your guys' like unique, it, you know? interesting stuff and. It makes me wonder what you think about the indie arcade scene. Like, there's this resurgence of new developers creating games, including myself, for like the arcade specifically. Like, we don't develop for Steam, we don't do that. We just are developing for the arcade. What do you think about these games? And uh, <laughs> I hear you have an idea. So tell me a little bit more about that. You're hired. I, I just, you know, no, it, we 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 are we kind of like to get me programming like C++ or like QBasic or something like that. I'm of the age where I, I haven't kept up. I've not been studious with programming and I've tried to, I, I'm one of those people when I make beats, I still use an SP 1200. I don't use the free software. You know what I mean? So my thing is, is that neither one of us are really capable of programming it. Right. But we have a, a, a developed, you know, ironed out idea. And uh, we've been keeping an eye on the, the indie scene. Like you talk about, I don't know if we've been looking in the same places, but we watch, you know, different indie developers that do things like for the Commodore 64 where you can download the files or purchase the files. But I mean, the for the arcade, or... I think that maybe uh, the guys that did Killer Queen are maybe the ones that kind of in part are responsible for um, seeing that uh, kind of kicking over that rock and seeing seeing that there was some potential there. And then you started to go, you know, to say uh, out here we have PAX. Um, California, California Extreme. Extreme. And so you then, you know, eventually started to see the people building like the new Pong tables and, and some new old equipment almost. And, uh, and so I think that it's, um, it's exciting that it's exciting that anybody cares about that venue, right? Because we all know that it's, uh, it's fun to play shoulder to shoulder, be able to shit talk in real time, you know, um, but I think it is aspirational, you know, in, in some in some ways, because, you know, it depends on people leaving their houses, which, you know, people aren't a fan and, of. And you need to be you need to be successful. Like those those folks building those games and want to put them in arcades. You got to do it where you're going to at the end of the day, you're going to be successful with your project. Like people are going to find out about it. You can find a way to finally connect those dots between somebody walking into the arcade and playing it and also having a version of it available for them to dick around with their phone and all that you know you need to be successful it's got to be a hit people got to find out about it it's got to be like a demand for the machines because i know a lot of the personalities that i've seen in that realm 
they're satisfied with just getting the shit out there. And then, you know, a couple people know about it and they geek out, but like, you gotta be successful with these projects. You know, this has gotta be something that's in demand where if I haven't heard about it, but I find out it's available just in our situation, we gotta buy one, right? As soon as it comes out, we have to buy that. It makes no sense. A new arcade game in 2025 or 2024. It plays this yeah. well. And it plays like this, this well, we that people it, love, we know, gotta like, get it, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's gotta kind of reach that level. And the reason I say that is because I wanna see it go that, that direction because Pushing arcade culture forward, no matter from what angle it is, our angle, others, the Japanese, you know, your angle, the Indi India developers. I think that all of it is positive. You know, anything that's that's making the arcade a place to go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, if if one side of it rises, everybody rises, right? Absolutely. You just, um, let's talk about guests at your arcade. Like I've seen a bunch of people on your guys' Instagram, like some pretty cool guests. I think I saw like Jason Kidd, Billy Mitchell. Um, I know you guys know Walter Day and stuff like that. So let's talk about who you've had at your arcade and who are some of the coolest guests that you think you guys have had. The arcade community, and I'm gonna let Meg answer this one because she has a better memory of the early days because she, she, she was kind of the first person to speak to people. But um, I'm telling you, man, the arcade community, at the time that we got engaged, when you open up an arcade, no matter how small it is, it's kind of like you hear about like the Masons or some other, some kind of group where you have to do all this work and then finally you get the secrets. When you open it up in arcade, you get all the secrets right away. You know, you find out everybody's phone number, everybody's willing to come and set a score on your machine. They're so welcoming. All those guys, uh, you know, maybe not all the guys, but almost all those people, almost all those people immediately gave us access to uh, their events, to what was going on, included us in on their circle. They, I think, feel like a lot of them, like we do, where any push forward is a positive one. So the reason why we got all those guests early on is, is because of that attitude. And Billy Mitchell is somebody we met at Richie Knuckles Arcade. Uh, yeah. Fabulous. Uh, he's he's a fabulous uh, arcade. Uh, you know, he, he repairs and restores them at a level that I don't see anywhere else. Richie you know? Knuckles yeah. in, um, in New Jersey. And uh, actually, he just opened a new one. But he's responsible for introducing us um, in the early days, uh, to, you know, Billy and the and mid two thousands. Yeah. But it was before we had an arcade, it was more than we were, we were just collectors at the time. Um, but when we opened up, we, uh, in, in Jersey, we, uh, we had a competition and it was hosted by, um, Mark Alpiger, who is in, um, King of Kong as the guy that wears the weightlifting glove. Right. So he's hosted a couple of, um, Hey, this is our son, Link. Son Link, Link Adiel. <laughs> Link, say hi. Hi. <laughs> um, so we've had uh, some pretty cool people. We've had Lonnie McDonald, who uh, refers to himself as the Joust Master. Uh, oops, I'm sorry. I'll go back to that. This is Journey. <laughs> Journey Adiah. Journey? Hi. Hi. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, Lonnie uh, McDonald, he, he goes by the, the name, the Joust Master. Um, he had, goes to every publicly available Joust machine and he, um, he catalogs the serial numbers of the cabinets that he plays and he rolls all of them over um, where he plays to 99999 and rolls the score over. And uh, so he's been at it for a long time. Actually, our Joust cabinet in New Jersey was his, I think, first commercial stop or second commercial stop way back when. Um, Maybe like 2012 or something Yeah, and like then that. he's yeah. come and, um, and played our game in Alameda. And then when we had our, our location in Hayward with Joust, he came and rolled that game uh, over as well. We've had um, David Cruz, who was a longtime um, 
Tron world record holder. Uh, he came and set a score on our machine. Taught, taught us a um, thing or two. Uh, Meg learned Rob, Robert Mirzak, uh, Mirchek. Mirchek. He, he Mirchek. taught me how to play yeah. Star Wars, yeah. and that was pretty rad. Uh, and Donald Hayes, who's another like all time, I mean, man has so many world records. Um, he's an all time, uh, you know, high score holder and he's come out. And played yeah. We've them. hosted a lot of these competitions so. with, uh, Mark Alpiger. So if you watch King of Kong or some of the various, uh, documentaries that came out in the last 15 years, Mark Alpiger ran classicarcadegaming.com. And so we partnered with him many times to hold these competitions. And as a result, we ended up getting the opportunity to meet, watch, uh, you know, kind of hang out with a lot of a lot of those high score holders over the years and, and that's all it's awesome it's not really part of our business it's it's kind of something that actually disrupts business a little bit but it's worth it but it's worth it for the experience we do it because we love it but on the dev yeah. side i mean that's on the player side but on the other side you know we are lucky um fortunate to be um you know somewhat close to silicon valley so we've had a lot of people come in that had a direct hand in you know, Atari's early days, a lot of the guys who used to work in Sunnyvale have popped in. So we've had people, you know, across that video game, you know, kind of that industry spectrum come in. And sometimes, you know, like Owen Rubin, he lives up in the, you know, in Oakland and he, um, he designed Major Havoc and a he made of, the explosions uh, on, on, uh, on uh, Battlezone too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so he's come in a, a number of times to play. And so, you know, it's just so for, for me, uh, I really geek out in meeting some of those people that had a really, you know, um, such a heavy hand in, in creating some of our favorite games. It's, it's pretty cool to be able to meet them face to face. Yeah, I don't even know how you could pick a coolest at that point in time. I mean, you guys have had so many. I mean, it, it's hard to not say legends in the space. Yeah. Join yeah. you and like play games and teach you how to play games and like. Billy Mitchell taught me how to play Pac-Man. I'm still absolutely garbage at it, but it was oh, really cool. To play. Too? Yeah, he came and played. He played, he played Galactic Battleground with us like four or five years ago. We actually nice. took it to California Extreme uh, in 2017. I think we were showing it off there. It was funny. He's a pretty um, nice guy. Like when you see all the publicity and all the stuff that gets covered. But at least, in, I don't know. Look, I haven't looked into any of the cheat or any of that stuff. But all I know is in person, he's he's been a really nice guy. You know? That's all I can say about him, too. I, I've met him like four or five times now. He's been incredibly kind every single time I've met him. And Obviously, he's he's got his character, but, you know. Somebody, and somebody people, just, yeah. so so the fellow that has uh, our high score, one of our high scores on, uh, on Donkey Kong just asked me, like, what do you think about Billy Mitchell? And it's always like a loaded question, right? Like, no one ever, uh, you know, but to me, just as he said, he's always been been kind, and I don't care who you are, he's a good player. He's yeah. an amazing player. Yeah, see, I don't, right? I don't watch and that so, close enough to pay attention to what's going on with the meme and so all that I stuff. So I don't know. You know, did you use an eight-way joystick, or did you, I don't know, but like, you know, at the end of the day, with my own eyes, dude can play the shit out of those games, and that's what I know for sure. It's just so, such a weird you know. question. It's like you're going to ask right. me what my like, house is worth and, like, did I get vaccinated and, you know, should call me shim? Like, what's – I don't know. It's just a strange question, we, <laughs> and we get it a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I mean – I, I was with him in, in Fort in Fort Lauderdale and he walked up to the machine and he was like, I'm going to play to this score. He played to it, did not die a single time. And then when he just walked away, like he, yeah, he right? just knew so, what he was going to play to. He hit it first try. And that was that. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of the people that asked me those questions, this one aside, but a lot of the people that asked me that question are, um, you know, they're dying on the third board, you know, like, so I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. That's why it's funny to me. It's like, you know, I don't know. 
he's pretty freaking good <laughs> those games. right well that's that's really all the questions i had for you guys i want you to shout out social medias i want people to be able to follow along your journey visit your arcade so where can they find you so on uh instagram we're high scores arcade on facebook we're high scores arcade um twitter or x is uh hs arcade we're a little less active on there um we we just can't do TikTok. I'm sorry. We just can't. No, we're not going to step into that world. You know. <laughs> so there is. I think a, we have a TikTok. I think there's a yeah, presence yeah. there, but it's certainly not updated um, unless it's uh you know by somebody else. So, <laughs> but mainly Instagram and Facebook at High Scores Arcade. Yeah, and YouTube has a lot of good content. Yeah, YouTube. Of, of you know, Meg does uh you know she she does uh you know guidance videos for various classic games you know and how to play and you know beginner tips. Yeah, so on YouTube, it's High Scores Arcade as well. Awesome. I'm going to throw all those links down in the description so you guys can go check them out. Meg, Sean, I want to say thank you for coming on. I appreciate chatting with you. It's been a blast. Um, you guys are clearly insanely passionate, and you've got multiple arcades, pushing the arcades forward, keeping that nostalgia, really hitting that, that niche. Uh, like I said, nostalgia is a hell of a drug, and you guys are clearly delivering on that. Uh, if, you guys, if you guys like what we're doing here at Indie Arcade Wave, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. It helps us a ton. We can all ride the wave together. And until next time, peace. Peace.